0: A disused water tower, which some claim may now be used as a secret government base, built atop a hill, which was once a site of importance to the pagans and then the Vikings, and may even be the burial site of the most famous of all the Vikings who ruled Jovic. This little known site in haunted York has seen reports of shadowy figures and disembodied footsteps. So tonight, join me as we dare to continue our time in York and investigate Seaward's Howe. Welcome to episode 43 of How Haunted, a weekly paranormal podcast where each episode we explore the horrible history and terrifying ghost stories of one of the most haunted places on planet earth. I'm Rob Kirkup, author, paranormal historian and ghost hunter from the northeast of England. Allow me to be your guide as we dare to investigate in depth the often dark and troubled history of each location and of course the chilling tales of the ghosts that reside within. This week, we return to York and ask just how haunted is SeaWads Howe? Listener discretion, discretion is advised, as each episode each of How Haunted, Haunted will feature gruesome tales horrific, tales, horrific happenings, bloody murder, and ghosts. So, so many, ghosts. many ghosts. Listen on if you dare. On the night of the 14th of May 2011, I investigated Seaward's Howe, with my small team, which includes my younger brother Tom, and my good friends Richard Stokoe and John Crozier. The four of us had investigated the York Tyburn the previous night, and if you've not heard last episode, I would very much recommend listening to that before listening to this one. Our investigation formed the basis of Chapter 5 in my book Ghosts of York, a chapter called The Pollen Dodo, an intriguing title, but all will become clear, and I will now read an abridged version of that chapter, After a good night's sleep, I awoke at about 7.30am. I had arranged to meet the others at about 10, so tried to get back to sleep but failed. I was wide awake, so lay on the single bed staring at the white ceiling above me, reflecting on the disappointment that York Tyburn had been, and how I felt having brought the other lads down to York, away from their homes and families, for such a non-event in a damp field. I showered, got dressed, and went over the photos from the previous evening, in the vain hope that I might find something out of the ordinary which I'd missed during the actual investigation. At ten o'clock, there was a knock at my door. It was Tom, which was a pleasant surprise given his usual lateness. We crossed the landing and knocked on Richard's door. There was a lot of banging coming from the room, but no answer for a couple of minutes. We knocked again, and Richard's door opened ever so slightly and his head popped out. I can't find any socks, hang on. He reappeared shortly afterwards ready to go with a huge backpack with him. Do you really need everything in that enormous bag I asked. He looked at me, then Tom, then back at me again. Not really, he shrugged, and placed his bag back in his room. We went downstairs to meet John outside the convent. Well, at least we tried to, but we were really struggling to get through the hundreds of people crammed into the cafe area of Bar Convent. It was the annual gluten free food fair and people from all over the UK had turned up to sample the gluten-free wares on offer at Bar Convent. It was a genuine struggle to negotiate our way past the crowds, as they were all headed in the opposite direction to us, but eventually we managed to get outside. We were astonished to see how many people were queuing, several hundred people waiting patiently along Blossom Street. We couldn't see John anywhere, and wondered if perhaps he was in the queue somewhere, as John loves food of all types, whether it contains gluten or not. We looked all over for him in his big black coat, but we couldn't see him anywhere. A few minutes later he appeared, and the four of us began the familiar walk into the city centre. It was a very warm sunny day, so warm that there was not a coat in sight. We made our way to one of York's biggest visitor attractions, the Jorvik Viking Centre in Coppergate, built upon the site of an archaeological dig lasting almost six years from 1975 to 1981, which uncovered the most amazing insight into Viking life. The houses, workshops and backyard of the Viking city of Jorvik a thousand years ago. The Jorvik Viking Centre took us on a fantastic voyage back into Viking times and had such an effect on John that in the gift shop on our way out he was toying with the idea of buying a very heavy metal Viking axe for £60. By now it was almost 11.30 in the morning and we decided to sit down somewhere for a drink and some food so we headed to Lendl's Cellars. Tom and Rich ordered a full English breakfast and we all had a drink. I had a surprise for the guys. We'd already been to the Jorvik Viking Centre today and now we were going to continue to do the tourist thing. As I'd managed to secure some tickets to York Dungeon. This announcement was met with genuine excitement by the others. I didn't tell them at the time but the even more exciting news was that it seemed likely we would be seeing a lot more of the York Dungeon later in the year. The York Dungeon was brilliant, a wonderful array of horrible characters and happenings from York's past, well acted with great effects. We heard about Guy Fawkes, Dick Turbin, Eric Bloodaxe, the Ghosts of the Golden Fleece, and many others. There was a room in which we were all told about the plague, and Rich was selected from the group as looking like he was a plague sufferer. He had to go behind a screen, and then his infected innards were pulled out in a shower of fake blood and gore. After leaving the York Dungeon we chatted excitedly about our personal highlights of the tour which had lasted nearly 90 minutes and as we talked we headed in the direction of our regular haunt, the Cross Keys pub. We sat near the window of the pub we developed a real affinity for on our many visits to the city. We were discussing John's lack of knowledge on television, music, film and celebrities in general, a fairly common topic. A personal highlight was Tom asking John if he knew who Bernard Matthews was, John replied with a rare confidence. Yeah, of course. He's the fish finger man. A short while later, Tom asked me about Eric Bloodaxe, the Viking King. We'd encountered him at the York dungeon earlier, and during our tour, I'd nudged Tom and whispered quietly to him that we might encounter him again during our investigation this evening. I'd completely forgotten saying this, but with this reminder, I told the others about Seaward's Howe. The outdoor venue we'd be taking on in a few short hours. Seaward's Howe, also known as Heslington Hill, is part of the campus of the University of York and is famous for the imposing water tower, which was built in 1955 to house 1 million gallons of water, making it the largest water tower in Europe. The water tower was built to serve the rapidly expanding population of York in the 1950s, and it looks more like a castle than a water tower, possibly due to the involvement of the Fine Arts Commission, who had input into the design. It is now devoid of water completely, and it's believed that this has been the case since the 1980s. The machinery which was once used for pumping water has fallen into disrepair, and it's now used for storage by Yorkshire Water. There is an air of mystery surrounding the tower, with rumors of three workers being killed during the construction of the massive concrete tower, and conspiracy theories surround its current use. It's not been used as a water tower for almost 30 years so no one is seen to go in or out during the day, and it's surrounded by a barbed wire fence. Some people believe that the tower is not used for storage at all. It's actually used as a secret government base. The hill upon which it is built is fabled for the pagan rituals which are believed to have taken place here, and Seaward, the Danish warrior and Earl of Northumbria for whom the hill is named, is believed to be buried deep beneath the hill. Another famous character from York's history, believed to be buried at Seaward's Howe, is Eric Haraldson, the 10th century Viking ruler, nicknamed Eric Bloodaxe, as he murdered each of his own brothers in turn. There have been several investigations at the location across the years, with reported phenomena, including footsteps heard walking around the investigators, breaking twigs and rustling leaves. And on one occasion, a dark figure was seen moving in the trees before simply disappearing as quickly as it had appeared. At 5.30 in the evening we left the pub and we savoured the glorious sunny weather as we had a leisurely stroke back to our accommodation at Bar Convent. We returned to our rooms at around six o'clock and arranged to meet in Richard's room at nine. All of my equipment for the investigation was already organised from the previous evening so I sat down on my bed and the next thing I knew I was waking up. It was 20 to nine so I had a shower to wake myself up, and I went to meet the others. At quarter past nine we jumped in my car, and ten minutes later we got our first ever glimpse of the water tower at Seawards Howe, and it truly did look like a formidable building in the twilight. We parked in a fairly empty car park nearby, and walked back past the water tower on our way to the track, which led uphill to Seawards Howe. As we walked past the water tower only a few inches from the fence keeping the public out, I realised that some people mustn't have been kept out by the fence, as I spotted some graffiti on the tower which read, think for yourself before it's illegal. We reached the top of the hill, and the thick trees and bushes meant it seemed a lot darker than it actually was. Even though we weren't too far from civilisation, we seemed quite isolated, and it was really quiet. I couldn't hear the traffic that I would anticipated to hear at this venue. We went for an initial walk around the area, Rich, Tom and John going into a grassy field just down the hill and I went off alone into a dark wooded area. As I walked adjacent to the tower I heard footsteps on the crisp leaves and the twigs behind me. I turned around thinking one of the others must have decided to come and join me but I was alone. Five minutes later I rejoined the others but didn't mention the footsteps I thought I'd heard. John wanted to go along to the wooden area where I'd just been so we all went. I led the way followed by Tom then Rich and then finally John bringing up the rear. After less than a minute John commented that he thought he heard footsteps behind him. We returned to the very top of the mound and we set up a trigger object of sorts, a leaf from a beech tree with two twigs on top of it forming a cross. We knew this wouldn't be an exact science given the wildlife that roams here and the summer breeze that was all around us. We split into two teams. Rich and Tom going in one direction and John and I going in another, in the hope of experiencing something so we would have a good starting area in which to begin our investigation. John and I walked back along the forest track towards the road of the car park. At the bottom of the track was a subway with people coming and going all the time. After ten minutes we returned at the top of the hill. There was no sign of Tom or Rich but after a couple of minutes they emerged from the bushes. The trigger object had moved, but as I said earlier, this wasn't an exact science, although to be fair, the only animal we'd seen since we got here was a horse in a field, but the twigs could have easily been moved due to the wildlife at this location. Rich spoke aloud, explaining why we were there, who we were, and asking if any spirits could grace us with a sign that they were there. At the precise moment he stopped talking, the wind, which had been almost non-existent all evening, blew so strong, that the trees around us were all banging together. Rich continued to ask questions and the wind continued to blow. When he stopped talking, the wind died down until all around us was total silence. We discussed whether what had just happened was something paranormal or merely a coincidence. As we talked, I noticed that the trigger object which we repositioned had moved again. So now we all had something else to consider. Had one of us moved it with our feet by accident, We were all in agreement that neither of these occurrences could be considered any kind of proof, so Rich said he'd speak out again to see if the wind picked up. However, before we could ask if anything was there, there was a very loud bang, and it came from inside the empty water tower. We split into our two teams again, and I suggested that we discreetly walk around the three sides of the tower that we can't access to see if anybody was there. John and I walked back down the track towards the subway, stop can you hear that i said quietly yeah it sounds like machinery of some kind was the response and he confirmed what i was hearing from inside the empty water tower i could hear whirring and beeping five minutes later we were back at the summit of the mound again and we'd not seen anything in or around the tower we all turned our head towards a sound of talking coming from the car park below us it was nothing paranormal it was the sound of some students already drunk or on their way out to get drunk. We all felt a little vulnerable and not quite so isolated anymore. They passed by though, and we were free to get on with our ghost hunt. It was after midnight now when I spoke.
1: Well, what we've got here is um, a recorder. What this can do is this can record. This is recording my voice, so I have um, What it can also do is it can record anything you do so if if there is any spirits here with us maybe Eric Bloodhatch is here the Viking King um, you're obviously a powerful king if you could let us give us some kind of display of your power perhaps you could speak into this device we might not even hear you but this will capture it if you could appear before us if you could touch one of us affect one of us it would be it would really really be beyond our wildest dreams this is any other spirits here um, anybody who is involved with who is involved with and died the builder of this magnificent castle type water tower behind them and any spirits that just happen to roam in this wooded area we're here in the hope that you can let us know that there is something that happens after death and it's not just the end we'll never fully understand what uh, how things work, but if you could give us some kind of an insight and just let us know that you're still around and that you can understand what I'm saying. That would be brilliant if you could what I'll do is um ask out a series of questions if you could answer them either by speaking into the device here or making some noises. Um, and then we can listen back to and see if we'll capture anything on there. Can I start mark? Does that Do I? Well well, that just I'm not trying to think. I can't see what you've got there. the f- the no, t- there's two eyes. Big head. Big, big crown, And a big mouth, yeah? No? let's mm-hmm. no, have a look at what Thomas told me. One eye, one two eyes, like see face. Big mouth, big, easy mouth of grin. Mm, and a big, big skull so. head. And use, I can use a a bush. That is a good thing. So, what we're going to do is, Thomas is going to take a variety of photos. Mm-hmm. And i am going to take a couple of photos if you're going to appear on one of them, even if we can't see you with our eyes without by you on the photograph. I'm going to ask you some questions if you could answer by oh, making a noise, yes. by touching one of us, or by speaking into this device, even if we can't hear you. This device should be able to capture your voice, and we'll be able to play it back, and we, we're we doing this for a good cause, so if you could let us know that there is something after death, you'll be really, really appreciative. Okay, um, Is there any? is there anybody here with us? What is your name? Do you realise you're dead? Are you able I, to leave this? I don't know what happened before, but when you answered that first question, because this measures, going yeah, it, it went, whoosh, and I didn't yeah. hear anything. Um, do that again. Yeah, that was great. If you did make a noise into this, if you could do it again right now. That would be brilliant. It's probably his camera, you know, with all the beeps and that. Um. What? It's very um, electronic though. If, um, do you mind us being here? Do you mind us looking for you? Do you want us to leave? Do you like us being here? What's your name? If you could give us a first name and a surname, that would be magnificent so we can... We can can try and and, and find out more about you. When did you die? How old were you when you died? Did I here. We've asked a, a number of questions now. This is going to be the last question, then we'll end the recording. Um, what I would say is, um, as much as we respect you and we, 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 want, to, we want to communicate with you, we'd, we'd prefer it if you would stay here when we leave and not follow any of us. when it comes to spirits and things like that where we still don't understand whether there is such a thing as a spirit whether there's any kind of life after death and we'll never understand in our lifetime but if you could help us out and just give the four of us some kind of positive proof so we can take, take away from this that there is such a thing as a ghost it would be forever in the death one last question before we leave What is your name?
0: Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. I suddenly felt a little uneasy, and for no apparent reason, I felt a little scared. I hadn't said anything when Rich said, I'm crapping myself, making me realise I wasn't the only one who's suddenly been overcome by this inexplicable fear. We continued with our questioning, and after a couple of minutes, I felt calm again. After another 45 minutes of inactivity, we returned to my car. The plan was we would listen to the recordings that Richard made across the evening through my car radio. If we heard anything to give us a lead, we would continue our investigation. But if we didn't, with it being after 1am, we would call it a night. As we walked past the tower one last time, we heard a cough come from in or around the tower. So clear that when I turned to the sound, I expected to see somebody on the other side of the barbed wire fence. We got into the car and I turned my engine on, turned the heating up to maximum, as it had been a little cold for the last couple of hours and we'd all begin to feel it. Rich connected his mobile phone to my car and he played back several recordings which he'd taken across the evening. As we listened to them, I watched a couple of rabbits jumping and chasing each other around the car park. They had plenty of space to play, as mine was the only car in the car park. Over Rich's recordings, there was a constant whisper, but we couldn't establish whether it was a whisper or if it was just the wind. But with it being there throughout, we surmised that it was most likely the latter. After listening to all of the Seawards Howe recordings and hearing nothing, Rich mentioned that he'd recorded for a short while at York Tiber in the previous evening, and he hadn't listened back to it yet. He said it was just over six minutes long, so we were all happy to give it a listen. As we listened to the first couple of minutes, it appeared apparent Rich had recorded the most dull conversation ever. It must have been when we were in off-duty mode, as rather than us attempting to communicate with the dead, we were chatting totally carefree about some of the dullest things ever committed to MP3. After just over three minutes into the recording, Tom says, I quite like the smell of pollen, and then Rich replies, I got a big smell of that before. As I listened, I felt my heart rate quicken, and I sat upright in my seat to see if anybody else had heard what I was almost sure I'd just heard. I wasn't excited about my brother's newfound love of pollen. It was about what I could have swore I'd heard immediately after he'd finished speaking. I looked at the other three in turn and it was immediately apparent everybody else had heard it too. Do
1: it sound close? I don't know, I couldn't pinpoint. Sometimes, you, know like you know when you're coming, it was you little know, sound you can't work out which way it's coming from. I was pinpointing somewhere in the middle of where we no. were, like from you there, know, like that. So <laughs> the noise you sounded heard like <laughs> well, that would be a turkey. Well, now when you went because of the like, mm. I heard like a Mm-mm. noise, maybe. I heard a horn. No, it was before that. I feel a like scared. <laughs> All of a sudden. I think it's just been cold and tired. Anyone feel like... Do you I mean? a bit of a field. Anyone's on bad feeling in like, that direction? All i felt all night was that... Do you know when I got to top of that bridge and I felt all panicky? Yeah. Then I moved away from that spot and I felt all warm and nice. I feel warm and nice. Oh, that's good. I don't want it to feel panicky. It's so lovely, but it's not really what we're after, is really it? It's really nice Going to go that eye. Uh, like if something being chucked. You trick some, McJohn. Shiver. There's some movement in the trees, I think. I think it's just dead. You're a beast. You don't bother with these trees, doesn't bother You're in that area for some reason. I think it's going to go there. I don't think it's going go to go there. It's going to, like, we walked over there. No, it's just it's like, dark Like and there. I don't mean, like, miles over there. I mean, like, only 20 you go ahead that, of it. You're going there. You go there. It's kind please. of extremely dark, but. You, like, you go and have a look. Find things tall. To burn mine. Like, my feet are aching there. Just like underneath that tree up there. Credit it's full of pollen. I've oh got a big smell of that before. I think I've got a good fever. I think it's not the nice. I don't want to move over here with this, where I don't like it. Oh, will you? go with I'm get in just get I want to go. This'll soak you through, by the way. Yeah, I know. There's also loads of nettles at one point, too. I have he turned the boat, in. Can I like I know what you mean. No, I don't like it. Like, think probably just a dog. Well, let's just go for now. This is all just nettles. No, I don't like it. Do we like nettles? There was a road. Yeah. Okay. Bloody
0: hell, what is it? were you breathing in front of the camera <laughs> don't
1: think
0: so. Did you hear that, Rich said. Rewind it, play it again, John responded excitedly. Rich rewound back a few seconds, and once more Tom said, I quite like the smell of pollen. Then on tape, clear as day is a third voice. The voice of what immediately sounded to me like a young girl, and my initial thought of the fairly quiet recording was that she repeated the word pollen, and then said a second word, which was obscured by Rich's, i got a big smell of that before. This was huge. We were all overwhelmed, and Rich kept rewinding the recording and playing it over and over again as we listened, the excitement never waning. Pollen dodo, said Rich, trying to work out what the second word could be. At the time of Richard's recording, we'd been stood at the bottom of the slope shortly before we'd brought the York Tyburn investigation to a close. There had only been the four of us present, and we weren't close enough to the street for it to have been a member of the public. I was almost a hundred percent sure we'd captured the voice of a ghost, and it was the clearest EVP I'd ever heard. And it was more
1: pollen. Oh I got a big smoke of that before.
0: We must have listened back to those few seconds of the recording at least 50 times in the car, and even our most ardent sceptic Tom couldn't offer an alternative explanation as to what it could have been. We drove back to Bar Convent over the moon with this breakthrough, excitedly repeating the words and Dodo over and over on the short drive home. When we parked up, we saw that the Punchbowl pub was still open, so we popped in for a celebratory drink before bed. We were on cloud nine, And what we'd heard was so clear, it had completely shaken my belief system to its very core. I didn't sleep much that night. I lay awake for hours, replaying Richard's recording in my head, trying to rationalise what it could have been. But in all the time I lay there, the only explanation I could offer was that it was the voice of a ghost. We met up the next morning for a fairly early 8am departure back to Newcastle. And all we talked about all the way home was the recording. After dropping the others off I was back home well before midday, and the first thing I did was check my email. As Richard sent us a sound file on the drive home, I listened to it on my laptop through headphones, and it was still clear as day. A girl's voice. And it was more pollen.
1: I I did. Oh my God. I got a big smoke small up before.
0: Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. You can follow How Haunted on Twitter at HowHauntedPod or over on Instagram at HowHauntedPod where you will see photos galore relating to CWED's How. If you want to get in touch, you can do so by visiting the website at www.how-haunted.com or you can email me directly at rob at how-haunted.com Feedback, location, suggestions and your own experiences are all more than welcome. Feel free to ask me any questions you like and I'll answer them all on a dedicated Q&A episode. If you'd like to support the show you could sign up to one of three Patreon tiers. They start at as little as £1. If you'd like to get ad-free early access to episodes as well as access to exclusive episodes where you can join me in an actual paranormal investigation and hear the audio as it happened, you can gain access right now for less than the price of a pint. There's 10 episodes of this nature waiting for you right now. Then there's also a tier where not only do you get all of that but you can also get yourself some exclusive How Haunted merch including a mug and a t-shirt as well as join me in an actual paranormal investigation via live stream and talk to me throughout. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash pod to find out more. If you aren't a fan of Patreon or perhaps would prefer to make a one-off donation of the podcast why not donate £2 to buy me a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com Forward slash How Haunted Pod. All the information on how you can support How Haunted is in this podcast episode description and over on the website. I'm running a competition where two winners will win a signed copy of one of my new books. There's a copy of Illustrated Tales of Northumberland, which was released in February, and a copy of Paranormal Northumberland, which was released in May, up for grabs. In July, I will be walking 28 miles in one day to raise money for Cancer Research UK in memory of my dear friend John, who lost his battle in 2017, aged only 34. To enter this competition, as well as supporting this worthwhile charity, if you can afford to do so, please consider heading over to justgiven.com forward slash page forward slash walk for John 2023. That's justgivencom forward slash page P-A-G-E forward slash walk, the number 4, the name John with an H, 2023. The link is in this podcast episode description and sponsor me whatever you can afford. Then just drop me an email at rob at how and I'll pop your name in the hat. I'll do the draw at the end of July and ship the books out to the two lucky winners anywhere in the world. If you've enjoyed this episode if enjoy is the right word then please subscribe and review the podcast on your podcast provider of choice. It really does help other people to find How Haunted. Next time out We begin a month of overseas locations, and our first stop is Montego Bay in Jamaica, and we visit a Jamaican Georgian plantation house which is now a museum. Dating back to the 1770s, it was one of the country's most impressive plantation great houses on a 650 acre estate. It had fallen into ruin by the 1960s, but it was then restored. According to legend, the spirit of Annie Palmer haunts the grounds, better known as the White Witch. Annie was born in Haiti and was a voodoo practitioner. She moved to Jamaica with her husband John Palmer, but murdered him soon afterwards. And then she murdered two further husbands, as well as many of the 250 slaves that were forced to work on the sugar plantation at the hall. Today Annie is one of the ghosts who stalks the halls and corridors. Let's find out much more next week when we take a look at Rose Hall. Thank you so much for accompanying me for our paranormal adventures once again. Stay safe and join me next time when we will once again ask the question How Haunted?
1: smoke, small that before. Five years to the day that would this the Dodo thing, we should have a grand return to the time. then. Yeah. Well, yeah no. we'll probably be celebrities by then, I'll be stopping in that hotel every night, I'll probably all <laughs> it.